Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 451 of Longbox Heroes. Joe and Todd joining you today. Todd, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic, and I hope to, you know, clarify my thoughts, you know, to you as I speak them. So we'll see how that goes. I'm going to bet that doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. Call it a feeling. You're calling your shot? Mm-hmm. I'm doing my best not to – I notice that my levels get spiked quite a bit on the show because I don't have something in front of me showing me the levels as we're talking, you know? Right. I do. I do that so I don't spike. And the only thing spiked in front of me is my drink right now. I don't think you should be drinking during the show. That's maybe for another day. Oh, no, I'm not drinking. I swear. Okay. Fair enough. So we do have some stuff to discuss uh, this week. A actually jam-packed show, a little bit more jam-packed than I would uh, like. We have some information about Marvel and DC books this summer from the big retailer summit that came out this past weekend. We have the conventions that are happening this weekend, and there's a bunch. Uh, we have digital books and sales, and let me check while we're talking right now if they flipped my free books, and they did not. I always like to do that at my fingertips. We have what we read from this past week, which was Guardians of the Galaxy number five, War of the Realms number four, and Immortal Hulk number 17. We have what we're looking forward to coming out this week, as well as Todd's Art Attack, and in what is, I'm sure, going to be a spirited TV talk, we have the most recent episode of Cloak and Dagger alongside the season finales of both The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow. Mm, and there's nothing better than a good season finale, unless it's a series finale. Unless it, well, that's for another show on another day. That is true. So it is a little light on the news, uh, unfortunately, sadly. Um, even though there was a retailer summit, there wasn't anything new that we didn't already know. Not a ton of uh, more information than what we already had, I guess. Right. Um, the one thing is just more information about how big the absolute carnage crossover over event is going to be um what other books that it's tying into your non spider-man books of course uh a lot of uh, the venom stuff of course but then we are going to get with uh some of the books free tattoos <sighs> hobgoblin stuff right right well and this is again i'll have to buy two one to keep the tattoo in and the other one to take the tattoo out I'm going to buy two also. Oh, really? What are you going to do with the, your two, Todd? <laughs> Something different. Let's put it that way. <laughs> no, I, and again, this is one of those situations, of course, where um, I'm not going to buy all the crazy tie-in stuff unless it's something that I'm already getting. Uh, I already get Amazing Spider-Man. I already get Fantastic Four. I already get Symbiot. Uh, or not I don't get Symbiot Spider-Man. Uh, I get Avengers. I get Immortal Hulk. And then, oh, these these are the ones. Um, these are not so much as the tie-ins, per se. Uh, these are the ones. Remember when the return of Wolverine was happening and the books would have the post, like, one page of, like, oh, you just missed it, Wolverine. So-and-so whose book this is was just here. 
that to me, my favorite one of all time is still in like Infinity War. Like when Silver Sable shows up to Castle Doom and knocks on the door and, and it's like, uh, I'm here to see, cause they were friends. They were both, you know, monarchs. He's like, I'm here to see Victor. And like, uh, I forget if it was Igor or whatever it was like, or Ivan, I'm sorry, it was, uh, he's not here. He's off fighting the Infinity War. And she's like, oh, I'll go find help us somewhere else. <laughs> but go ahead. Right. Was that Silver Sable? Yeah, Silver Sable and the Wild Pack number like 23, maybe? I think so. I'm not 100% sure. That's one of those things that like just sticks with me for my entire life, you know? Right. Because it was the, just such a hackneyed tie-in. No, it wasn't issue 23, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, but Silver Sable and the Wild Pack. Right. Do you remember when uh, Sandman, uh, not the Singapore Cane swinging one, the one that's made out of actual sand, Flint Marco, mm-hmm. was a member of uh, the Wild Pack, and then he was a, an Avenger? No, I don't. You don't? That's news to me. There was a time in the mid-90s where they decided to make uh, Sandman, for no good reason, a baby face. Um... I guess what had happened was, I forget the particulars of it. Oh, I remember now. But Dr. Octopus turned him to glass. Mm-hmm. And then he had the ability to not only turn into sand, but also to turn into glass as well. Oh, that sounds fun. I remember, but didn't he have a face turn before that? Because I remember a Marvel 2-in-1, which is one of my favorite, where Sandman and the Thing go and drink in a bar, and it literally says, and I miss the days that comics, that kids kids comics would have, it's Miller time on the cover. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he goes, and what had happened was that during a fight with Spider-Man, it was him, it was, Hy- it was him and Hydro-Man got mixed together and they became a sludge monster. And oh, boy. he was, and he was so like humiliated by it that he went to the bar and then talked about being like a freak and a loser and everything with the thing who that's your that's your go to guy if you're going to talk about being a freak and a loser. So they sit down and have a few drinks and he ends up telling him like, don't bust up the bar. I'm here for a beer and then I'm going to turn myself in. And that was like in the in the the eighties or whatever I think maybe late seventies early eighties and then I think he had a face turn after that but I don't know if that was before or after he had the costume that somebody made him that had different stuff and I want to say if it was like uh, El Diablo made him the costume so he could have different stuff in it it would be like oh this reacts with sand this way and I'll and I'll use it and have different effects Sandman just had a, a, an illustrious career at Marvel. <laughs> And okay, so yes, what you're talking about is uh, he and Hydra Man. This is in the early two, like uh, issue, like two hundred fifteen twenty somewhere that of Amazing Spider Man, right? Right. So there's two separate instances, uh, mid late eighties and then nineteen ninety, where he has those instances with uh, the thing, right? Mm-hmm. So he wouldn't actually have his full baby face turn. Uh, until that run where, what's his face? Uh, Dr. Octopus turned him into, uh, glass. Mm-hmm. He was part of, like, um, so this is from his, uh, fictional biography, right? 
It's not fictional. It's <laughs> it's it is fictional. It so just to give you an idea, so Marvel two and one nineteen uh, issue eighty six, mm-hmm. whenever that came out, which we did a Joe and Todd and Joe have issues about. I think about that specific issue. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll take your word for that one. But anyway, so that came out in nineteen eighty two. Bear with me a second here. And while you're doing that, I think his greatest face turn was when Spidey forgave him for killing Uncle Ben in Spider-Man uh, 3. Oh, and then to repay him, he just turned himself into dust and flew yeah, away? And, yeah, just yeah, blew away. That's That's the Sandman face turn that I love. So again, it was 1982 where the Muckman thing happens. Right. And it's not until 1984 where he has the aborted baby face turn. Oh, boy. Again, well, that's what it was. You know, he joins like a group called the Outlaws. And they're going to do whatever they're going to do. And then it's not until like the mid 30, like the mid 330s on uh, Amazing Spider-Man where he gets uh, turned into the whatever, uh, turned into glass. Um, right, because so he uh, he's in a group called the Enforcers, and he goes to a group called the Outlaws. Then he's um, part of Silver Sable's group. Then he goes back to join up with Dr. Octopus. Then, after he gets turned to glass, he uh, is part of the Outlaws, which is a bunch of other uh, Spider-Man um, loser <laughs> villains. Mm-hmm. The Prowler, Rocket Racer, Puma, and Will of the Wisp. Right, and I just found the thing about the costume that I was talking about. Mm -hmm. In a story with the wizard, the wizard fashioned Sandman a green suit with a belt that that contained three buttons that allowed various chemicals to mix into the Sandman's body to enable him to change himself into consistencies related to sand. The suit, like Sandman's usual clothes, changed with the sand with him. Eventually... Uh, with the disbanding of the original fright, Frightful Force, Sandman stopped using that suit. I, I'm glad that he had a, a suit with three buttons on it. That was fantastic. So of all the of all the Spider-Man villains, and we're kind of off the subject here, why Sandman is the one that gets these multiple heel-to-baby-face turns? Because he's got the... He probably... Did he always have, you know better than I do, did he have that, like, storyline where he was just, uh, you know, he was a, a guy who had a family or whatever, and he turned to crime to, you know, he stole them a loaf of bread because they needed to eat, and then, you know, but they had a big family, so he stole a truckload of bread. I don't know. Was it something like that? Well, I, like, it was like, oh, much like every Spider-Man villain in the 60s, their origin was they were a two-bit criminal, and then they came into contact with Blank. That Blank also came into contact with another Blank, thus turning the person into the initial Blank. Gotcha. Formula. But, gotcha. And, and then later on, they decided to craft like a little bit of a backstory to make them a little bit more sympathetic. That Sandman had a daughter, and, you know, uh, what's-his-face who's Electro... Uh, Max Dillon was a, a protester for like workers' <laughs> rights and all these other things, and I'm like, all right, guys, it's he wears a green he wears a green leotard and he shoots uh, lightning out of his fingers. We don't need to know his entire motivation. That's right. 
But anyway, the real thing that we got off on the subject of this was, was the Infinity War tie-in with Silver Silver Sable. <laughs> oh my goodness. It was issue four, which uh, is an allegedly Doctor Doom crossover. It has Doctor Doom's big ugly mug on the, on the cover. Right. And uh, what is it? it says something stupid about Doctor Doom, but it always, everything is stupid about Doctor Doom. Easy, son. So that's issue four, but then issue five, Silver Sable, it's still an Infinity War crossover, and she ends up battling a bunch of Doom bots. So they're yeah. able to milk two issues of Silver Sable in the Wild Pack out of Infinity War. And I don't think she ever actually meets them. No, she just fights a bunch of Doom bots. Right. But it's like the first the first issue, issue four, is just them saying, like, oh, Doom's not here. Right. And then the second issue is like, well, I'm coming back, and mm-hmm. Doom is there to, you know, fight, and she's there to fight a bunch of Doom bots. I do think she has the titular line that says, sure is a lot of Infinity War out here. Well, one can only hope. Um, and that got us off from the absolute carnage thing, which is where all those issues are doing the post credit scenes of like carnage or venom or whoever is showing up. Right. Uh, I don't know. I'm still getting this book. Uh, Donnie Cates is the primary creator of this. It's Spider-Man stuff, even though it's carnage, even though it's venom, it's all Spider-Man. So I'm here for it. I'm getting some of the issues that are off. Like anything that I get, I'm naturally going to get and anything that uh, Donnie Cates writes. I'll probably get, I just hope, you know, they add a couple extra issues and do something with the ending, blah, blah, mm. blah, you know? So the only other thing that really came out that we didn't know, or at least was worth noting from the <laughs> uh, retailer summit out in Las Vegas this past weekend was during the DC thing. And again, it was nothing new. Um, a lot of the books, the year, of the villain stuff, of course, is forefront, um, all of the like, Batman Day coming up in September, all of those like ink and blot and jet and whatever those imprints are, <laughs> those are still happening. And then they just put up one slide in the Watchmen font that says <laughs> nothing ever ends. Now, this is crucial. This is very important information. Because not unlike the new Star Wars trailer where they have Luke Skywalker saying no one's gone forever. Right. You know, this is how they're bringing back the Emperor and everyone else in the uh, next set of Star Wars movies. Is this them insinuating that Doomsday Clock is going to go on forever? Because if, do- if it does, then this puts a-, a serious wrinkle into our bet. It does. It does. I'm not sure if... I'm just hoping that they mean that it ends with issue 12 in November as it naturally would. But then the story continues in more clock of doomsday. Oh we, my goodness. We never know. I just, <laughs> we both, we both they know that. At least a mini series called before doomsday clock. Oh my goodness. Uh, I would, Seri- I would read the series. I would read before doomsday clock and Biden an absolute. <laughs> So just for more clarity, of course, as we're recording this, uh, the full diamond list for the final week of May is coming out, and Doomsday Clock number 10 is on it. It is going to be out next week. Mm -hmm. And when it comes out, that'll be the big test to see, because what is it, two and a half weeks or two and a half months after that, that 11 ships, supposedly... uh, 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 yeah, the second week of August is where Doomsday Clock 11 is scheduled. We'll see if that slips at all. That's important. 
We'll see if 12 gets announced. I think once 11 doesn't get moved next week, then they'll announce 12. I don't think they're going to start playing with the date on 11 until the end of June, beginning of July. I think we've got, like, the issue comes out next week, as alleged, and that gives them a month. We don't have to think or address or nothing about 11. We're going to come back after the 4th of July weekend. (laughs) The book's going to be sitting there waiting for us, obviously. And then we're going to send it off to the printers. Now, obviously, we come back from the 4th of July weekend and the book's not there. Then we can start announcing our delays and everything else like that. But I I feel as though we're not going to get any word, any news, any nothing on Doomsday Clock 11 until after 4th of July holiday. Mm, Okay. So if there's no word next week, that means nothing. I say if we get to the end of July and there's no word. Like, if there's no word next week, that means nothing. Right. That's what I asked. I say there's no word, you know, on uh, what's a what's a holiday in June? Flag Day, Labor yes. Day, Father's Day, Father's Day. We get to Father's Day, and there's no news on Doomsday Clock Eleven. That don't mean anything. We get to we get past Fourth of July, and there's no news on Doomsday Clock Eleven. I'm like, okay, looks like it's coming out. Looks like there's not going to be any delays. Because with the delays on 10, they started announcing those delays about, like, two months in advance. (laughs) And with Gary Gary Frank, you know, just at that Comic-Con in Italy this weekend. Yeah, we had no stooges. I mean, uh, reporters telling us anything that happened from that con over in Italy, I guess, uh. And uh, Josh was telling me, I didn't know this, that the, he lives in Italy. Gary Frank lives in Italy? That's apparently what Josh said, and I would believe him because, like, he has all the the scoop on artists that I'm always trying to get something from. You know what sure. I mean? So I think he said he was looking into him doing something for him once, and it was like, the I, and it was like blah, 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 with shipping from Italy. So maybe it wasn't that much of a trip, you know? So maybe he's right on track with Doomsday Clock. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So again, that's really all there is on uh, news. Nothing, like I said, too, too much uh, doing. We do have a bunch of conventions happening this weekend uh, all over the world, the United States and places in between. Uh, the MomoCon in Atlanta this weekend. <laughs> Donnie Cates, Jim Mafood, and Kyle Starks are going to be at that one. The Garden State Great Adventure Con. Now, this is an interesting one, Todd. It's a comic book convention that's being held at Six Flags Great Adventure. Ooh. Interesting concept. I like this outside-the-box thinking. Uh, they got a couple artists and creators there, Riley Brown, Scott Hanna. They got John Wesley Ship of The Flash there. DC Properties, Warner Brothers, Great Adventures, Six Flags, all that sort of stuff. During these nice summer months, you start doing conventions at your theme parks. That's not a bad deal. No, it isn't. I'm surprised no one's thought of it sooner. Uh, they should have came to us. 
Yeah. You know, it's it's one thing, of course, to meet a guy in a suit. You know, the kids are going to be like, oh, I'll get a picture with a guy in a Batman costume. But you get like maybe that 18 to 25 or the 25 and plus crowd. It's like, yeah, I'll go get some comics signed. I'll go meet someone who's actually on the TV shows or in the movies, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, some other big conventions going on this weekend is the MCM Con in London. Uh, Creator-wise, we got Mike Zeck, John Beatty, uh, Mark Tixaria, Howard Mackey, Simon Bisley, Rags Morales. On the media guest side, uh, Sebastian Stan is going to be there. Uh, Stephen Amell is going to be there. I guess that means he's not going to be at Double Down this weekend <laughs> out in Las Vegas. I think he fought Double Down in an episode of Arrow. Oh, you think he? Oh, that's right. I uh, wasn't uh, Goldust's brother on there as Double Down or something. That's why he named his uh, big event in Las Vegas after that. No, I don't think he was Double Down as the character, but they did have Double Down on. Maybe he was. I don't know. I get all confused with Arrow. It's very, very confusing. Gotcha. But also this weekend at MCM Con in London, Jason Muse, Brian O'Halloran. Marilyn Gilgotti and Scott Shialfo are going to be there, Todd. Okay. Now you're wondering, uh, Jason Muse, obviously, you know what his deal is. Right. He was uh, Jay. Right. Brian O'Halloran was Dante. Okay. Uh, Marilyn Gilgotti was Veronica, Dante's girlfriend from Clerks. And of course, Scott Shialfo was the Chulies gum guy. Okay. They're doing a clerk's reunion. We should go. Because this year is the 25th anniversary of clerks. We should go as the Navy SEALs guy. Well, one of us. We can't both go. Well, we could go and just set up two boots and make twice the money. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I brought it up. If you want to borrow the the copter this weekend, fly (laughs) out to London to be the Navy SEALs guy. This is your weekend. That's right. I put on a ton of weight. Right, I start the show, that's your weekend with the copter. You start the show, that's my weekend with the copter. Oh, that'd be fantastic. I would oh, definitely, definitely do the rounds as the Navy SEAL guy from Clerks. Hmm. One of these days, Todd, one of these days. That's right, we could work We could work two different cons. We could do the whole Gallagher bit. Right, see, that's, that's what the scam is supposed to be. We can't both be at the same con working the same scam. Opportunity, Joe. Oh, that's right. It's the Navy SEALs opportunity. That's right. Uh, so, again, just as a joke, if you've seen Clerks, the bit players, there's the guy who says, ooh, Navy SEALs. Right. Todd and I's scam is to be not unlike Gallagher and Gallagher 2, where we would pass ourselves off as that actor who says, ooh, Navy SEALs, go to conventions, and have a bunch of like VHS copies of Navy SEALs that I'm sure we can get at thrift stores for half a buck, sign them, charge five bucks, Right. And make a hefty profit. That's right. Who's, who's going to cross-reference whether or not we're actually the guy who says, ooh, Navy SEALs and clerks? That's right. I could see that guy flying across country to slap us. Right. And then that's an even better story. It is. And then we we t- we say we're going to confess that we weren't on the show, and then we have tons of listeners. Right. Two more conventions. Phoenix Fan Fusion in Phoenix, Arizona. Lots of uh, comic book folks, Joe Rubenstein, Adam Warren, uh, Derek Robertson, Dave Marquez, Kevin Eastman, amongst many others. Media guest side, uh, Billy D. Williams, George Takei, oh my, 
uh, Pee Wee Herman, and Jeff Goldblum. Ooh. That's a huge list of media guests, Todd. Yes, it is. I always save the biggest con for last. Mm-hmm. Argentina Comic Con. Oh. In Argentina, Phil Noto is going to be there. David Mack is going to be there. And not only leaving his house, but leaving the country, Salty Keith is going to be there. No, that's not happening. There's no way Salty Keith is going to be in Argentina. He's As of the recording of this show, he is still listed on their website. As one of the comic book guests that are going to be there. I would love to see all the Mark photos of Salty Keith with the Argentina, you know, Argentinian public. That would be fantastic. He's still listed there. Artist slash cartoonist Keith Giffen. That is not happening. And Todd wouldn't know it. He's not smiling in his picture either. What? Oh, my goodness. So uh, all the links to all of those conventions, if you're heading to Argentina this weekend, tell Salty <laughs> Keith we said hi. Yep. Um, all the links to these will be in the show notes, of course, as as well as information about the soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-named-network.com, soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com, where you can hear information about all of the shows and our little network of shows, like-minded individuals, Friends, acquaintances, well-wishers, even though, you know, they don't wish us any particular harm, most of them. Uh, Whether it be episodes of this show, episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, uh, episodes of Puzzle Warriors 3, uh, Profane Arguments, still we're passing. We're going to get into the tri-monthly schedule for Fresher and Parlance. There is no podvocacy and... uh, it's the and I, I feel so bad. It's been a long day. Uh, wrestling on the edge of forever. Uh, this week, both Jason and David had a very important emergency come up, and I'm decided to put it here because at odds with wrestling this week is going to be a jam packed show. Even though there was a World Wrestling Entertainment pay per view or special event this past weekend, we have more news about all elite wrestling, impact wrestling. And my adventures at World Wrestling Entertainment Bar Trivia Night. Oh, that rocks, man. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> so anytime any of those shows go live, you can find them over at soontobenamednetwork.com or soontobenamednetwork.tumblr.com. Some of the digital sales that are going on this weekend. Nice and lean for the summer. I guess they assume everyone's going to be outside and they don't have a glare-proof screen for their tablet or handy holder or however you read digital (laughs) comics. I don't know. Uh, IDW is still having a sale on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle stuff. Dynamite is still having a sale on all of their various crossovers. Marvel is having a sale on what they call the best of Wolverine. And uh, listen, I like Marvel. I like Wolverine, but that's... uh, Probably a very thin sale, uh, if you ask me. And then DC is having a sale that's just called Memorial Day Sale. Todd, it's just whatever they want. Oh, my goodness. It's new stuff, uh, which I always like to point out if there's new stuff that's on sale from DC, because they don't typically mark that stuff down. Uh, That's included in there. As recent as... What would be, I guess, the first trade of Catwoman, just to kind of put a button on some of these things. The ninth trade of Tom King's Batman, kind of collecting up to issue 60. 
Mm-hmm. So just to kind of and you know, I think what seventy one, seventy two is out was out this past week of Batman. Of Batman, yes. I think it was seventy two. Right. So just to give you an idea of how far back this is going, uh, the full run of Mister Miracle you can get for six bucks, um, and of course. Batman Year One and Dark Knight Returns is in the sale. Mm-hmm. As well they should and legally have to be with every DC sale. I agree. <laughs> okay, so moving on to what we read from this past week, Todd. Where would you like to begin? Well, I'll start with what I what I picked, which would be The War of the Realms number four. Um, as we left left off, the uh, All Mother has is guarding the Black Bifrost uh, and using it to transport the troops of like you know Thor's army where they need to go, and then she's going to hold off the uh, Dark Elves until that can be done, and then she's gonna she's gonna destroy the the Black Bifrost. Um, while that's going on, we find that uh, Malekith is doing something with uh, the symbi- Venom symbiote. I'm not 100% sure because I think that's often in, in a different miniseries. Uh, Odin finds out that, that Freya is doing this and decides that they need to stop it. But no one could survive the trip while she's controlling the Black Bifrost. Odin's strong enough and he's going to go um, help her. So he goes through the uh, Black Bifrost to help her, but ends up getting a boost from Tony Stark and one of the dwarves um, in a cool, like, uh, moment where he becomes Odin Borson, the Iron All-Father. And there is some of the best dialogue and back and forth between Freya and Odin in this as they're, you know, stopping the army, which I absolutely love. Something happens there, and now Thor, back on Midgard Earth, is waking up to figure out everything that's gone on because um, he was kind of in the infirmary and he's like, all right, so all this has happened. It's going to rain hammers. And uh, once again, I really, I really like this issue. I like a lot of what's going on, but uh, in this, this is a six part mini. I feel like three and four have been the go see what's going on in the other issues of this stuff, which I was hoping Jason Aaron wouldn't have to do, but I was foolish. Um, And I'm hoping five and six will get on track because now Thor's back in the mix and we'll get other stuff. But I, I, as much as I love this, this mini, once again, I feel other than the, the, the Odin and the Freya stuff, I feel there's a lot of like that. I feel like I, I should or need to read other books. And I don't like that in my, uh, my event books. Right, and you had asked about the Venom thing. Uh, the Venom uh, stuff with the symbiote did happen in the Venom book, but it wasn't anything like too over the top that you really needed to read that book if you're not already reading Venom. Right. Uh, I liked the stuff. I felt the stuff with Odin and uh, Frasia was strong enough to carry the majority of this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought they got a, you know some really cool moments in there, and I thought that this issue did a very good job before the final panel, of course, Thor coming back, of really stacking the odds against our heroes. Right. But at the end of two, it felt as though they had a plan, and that they were moving the pieces around in three, and now here we are in four, where up until that last moment, they're, they're, I think they're doing a good job of, like, 
making us feel as though all hope is lost for the heroes. Right. And still, here we are at issue four, where at the end of issue two, they made such a huge deal of Valkyrie dying, and, you know, Jane Foster's there, and they're just referring to her as the All-Mother, and she has Valkyrie's sword and whatever it is, but I feel as though what happened at the end of two being portrayed as such a big deal, they're not following up on it. Unless it's happening in another book, as Todd mentioned, and it's one of the other books that I'm not reading as part of War of the Realms. I think with that, though, I think that that with the uh, Valkyrie and Jane Foster, I think the only, Marvel screwed up with that because now we're thinking like, hey, Jane Foster, get around to it because they 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 shot the cannon off before the miniseries even started or after the first issue. And you're like, well, now we want to get to it. If you had waited until whatever's going to happen and it's probably going to happen in, in five or six and then announce the ongoing by Jason Aaron, you're not sitting here waiting f- for it to happen. You know what I mean? I don't think it's going to happen in another book. I think it's going to happen in this, but because they spoiled the surprise, right? we're like, Mention it. And Odin only mentions it for a second. He's like, this has happened. This has happened. And Valkyrie's, you know, on a pile of blood and dust in New York. And you're like, that's all the Valkyrie mention we get in, you know, in, in a couple issues. So I blame all that on Marvel being like, we have to, we have to pump the news constantly and, and be in the, the, the circle of news. I'm like, I can't stand it anymore. It's not that I can't stand it. It just seems as though this was an odd choice to make to tip their hand so early on such a key moment in the book right. that you could have still advertise that book as Valkyrie and even change it to blank blank is Valkyrie, right? Mm-hmm. Not give it away that it's Jane Foster because maybe let us figure out that it's Jane Foster. No, we can't do that. Instead of telling us two months ahead of time. Right. That doesn't make, that doesn't make news. I think they wanted to announce that there's going to be another Jason Aaron Thor related book after war of the realms. And that was all they cared about. Mm-hmm. I, I still like the book. I'm just questioning that decision, you know? I agree. I right. agree. So let's move over to Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, number five, written by Donny Cates with uh, art by Jeffrey Shaw. This is the continuation of the Guardians, the Guardians that we know, the makeshift band put together by Star-Lord and Groot, attempting to find Gamora before everyone else does. Because Hela is leading a group of people to not only try to find Gamora, but also to try to find the head, essentially, of Thanos. Right. Because Thanos, at the beginning of this series, in issue one, said that he's coming back. Or, the, or Thanos' body, not his head, but, like, you know what I mean? Right, I gotcha. Right. So, in all of this, we had the cliffhanger at the end of issue three, where it Seemed issue three, uh, issue four, issue right. four, where we were led to believe that Star Lord was dead. I knew Star Lord wasn't dead. Uh, you know, he was just wearing armor. I thought that was a nice fake out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hella, of course, then invades where they do have uh, Gamora captured, and we do get the big reveal of Thanos's plan. Right. And in this, they actually show you who he downloaded his consciousness into. Yes. And uh, 
I thought that was pretty cool. I really don't want to give it away. I don't either. I think it was one of, you know, as it goes on, it's one of the few people that you wouldn't think it would be, you know, with all the clues that they gave. Um, The other thing that I love is now with um, with uh, Star-Lord's ship being busted up that they have a new mode of transportation. And I do hope that stays around for a long time in this new Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, That we could say. Oh, okay. Uh, that is that, like, happens like on page four. Right. Lockjaw shows up and because Beta Ray Bill uh, ha- has been working with the Inhumans, I guess, in that Death of the Inhumans book, whether that actually happened or not, I don't know. So he's like, uh, I, we I could... tend to believe that stuff that happens in Inhumans books happens the same way that it happens in X-Men books. Oh, OK. I take your word for it that it happened. That's right. Hey, at least they used a little asterisk to let us know. <laughs> But uh, also, I like the fact of, like, Hela going after uh, Star Fox's group and, like, using certain powers. She's like, oh, you're you're coming after me? All right. Oh, you know what I control, right? And it was just a lot of, like, cool things with that. And I've, and I've just been enjoying this book. And I always feel like this book is late because it's monthly in a world of books coming out, like, every other week or three <laughs> times in two months. And it always screws me up. I'm like, is Guardians of the Galaxy late? Oh, no, it's just on time. Right. It's a normal book that has a monthly schedule. <laughs> right. I haven't seen one of those in a while. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, there there are other books that do, you know, it, it hasn't gone to that where it ships the two times a month yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure they'll get, like, over the summer, a lot of times we'll get, like, a book that double dips during the course of a month, you know? Yeah, it, it's not a book like, say, The Immortal Hulk, which I have no idea when it comes out. And sometimes it'll double up in two weeks, and then we won't see an issue for a while. And that's, to me, the craziest book when it comes to shipping sometimes, because I have no rhyme or reason to whenever that comes out. Right, but when it comes out, it's typically the best book that's coming out, because Immortal Hulk number 17, written by Al Ewing, uh, art by Joe Bennett. I would say this is a book that almost every issue that's been out of this, we've talked about on the show. Yes, which is a good sign. Yes, um, it's a very good sign. So, um, Banner is trapped in the base. And he's, you know, as far as we know, puny Banner. And the guy who shot Betty in the previous uh, issue is on his tail. We get to a little bit learn a little bit more about what his powers are and what he can do. Mm-hmm. But little does he know who he is really up against. Right. And the reveals of that and how the folks in charge try to combat that and how that ends up working against them. Mm -hmm. This book, from the very beginning, if you remember when it was initially pitched, it was more or less like, oh, the Hulk, but a horror book, kind of, you know? Right. And I'll never forget, you know, we discussed it, of course, that kind of going back to its roots when they had the, was the Journey into Mystery books, or what were the books where Hulk was more of like uh, a monster sort of thing? I'm trying to remember what they were, because we're, it wasn't Tales to Astonish, that was Thor. Right. Journey into Mystery, no, Journey into Mystery was Thor. Maybe it was Tales to Astonish. Okay. I don't know. I, I have problems with that stuff. So we we talked about how it's not really a horror book. It's like everything. There's crime stuff in there. 
there's superhero stuff and there's all this other stuff in there. And this book plays so heavily into the entire mythos of, of the Hulk. And obviously it rewards you the more you know, but this book moves along in a way that it plays so deep into almost seemingly like every run of the Hulk, but it does so in a way that you don't feel lost. Right. And and that's the strongest thing about a book like this, because Hulk is a character that's been around forever. And so many different people have had so many different takes on him. And at its core, this is a straight up Hulk book, but it's being handled in a way by Al Ewing. And, you know, remember going all the way back to issue one, you know, I have in my head memories of what Joe Bennett's art is like, and his art is so different. And so just like pops off the page in this book. It's remarkable, this book. And we talked last week about how under our noses, this became a hot book, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Issues are selling for like 40 to 50 to $90 a clip. But I don't know, man. Like, I get my $4 a month when this book or whenever this book comes out. Every time I spend my $4, I don't feel as though that was wasted money. Right. And just so you know, it was after Hulk, because originally the the Hulk had a six-issue run when he first appeared. Then the Hulk was canceled, shockingly, and he went into Tales to Astonish. Okay. So just so you know, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm a sucker for every adaptation of the Hulk. Like there's, there's been the, I always call him the ultimate Hulk though. Now he's the professor Hulk. There's Joe fix it. The gray Hulk. There's, you know, uh, I, I even remember the matter Hulk gets the weaker Hulk gets. Remember that version? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's been a ton. And really when you come down to it, the Hulk is about multiple personalities. And I think, you know, uh, Al Ewing is juggling that very well with what's going on in this book. And then we find out that the group that the Hulk, that's after the Hulk, like they have another trick up their sleeve and they're getting ready to, to have something in case, you know, the Hulk gets out of this. And I'm like, you know what? It's th- to me, this is almost like old fashioned comic book storytelling like where it's like all right banner's doing this and he's fighting this guy and in this issue that's going to happen but as we do we leave we leave a an epilogue to lead into the next storyline that's coming if that makes any sense like remember when they would do that it would be like here's our story and then somewhere in it here's two pages to set things up for for later on and i miss I miss a lot of that. And I feel like, like you said, with the story in this, we get a lot of that. We get what we need now and a lot of cool setups for later. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talked as well last week about the strength of this book, both in sales and creatively Marvel giving Al Ewing a lot more stuff to do. He's more or less spearheading that big Marvel 1000 book that's coming out over the summer. Uh, no matter what, I just hope he stays on this book. I think he's doing a a fantastic job on this, and this is going to be one of those runs that people talk about for years to come. Like a character-defining run. I agree. I think this may be an evergreen Hulk run. Oh, boy. What? And and we're kind of being vague about this issue. I I don't want to give away too, too much about it, because I really want you, the listener, to go read this book. If you're not already reading this book, go check it out, man. Marvel is really doing everything that they can to publicize this book and push this book as much as they can. Um, You know, if you're not a digital person, they just recently had a sale, maybe about two or three weeks ago, where you could get the entire run of this 
uh, up to that point, I think, which was issue 15 or something, you could have got the entire run for like 10 bucks. You know, it was crazy. And the the the, the single issues, you know, if you want to be that person and go nuts and drop 40 to $50 on a single issue of a comic book, more power to you, right? Right. These are traded, man. You can get these in trade. Um, your store could probably order them. Marvel would be foolish not to keep these trades in print in perpetuity, mm-hmm. uh, especially this soon, especially with as hot as this book is right now. Right. And even if you want to wait, even if you want to wait, uh, I think one of the things that they announced at the retailer summit is that they're doing uh, the director's cuts on these uh, at the end of the summer. They're doing like a, a double dip. Right. Where they're doing like maybe like an extra buck and they're putting like some uh, notes in there from uh, the creative teams on them. Right. And and as you were saying, I totally agree. We We do try to be spoiler free on the show and I think we've we've gotten away from that a little bit. We don't like to give away too much, but we'll talk more about what happens in, in the comic. But I will say this one, I agree with you on you. You want to tiptoe. And even though it can be annoying, if you're listening to us talking about it is this literally is a book. And it seems every month is about revelations. It's like here, you're going to get this revelation and that revelation. And they're usually like, like bombs dropped on you of like what's happening and, or like really cool stuff. And that's the best part about this book in it's a, a horror book, but it's also a, as horror should be. It surprises you, not shocks you, but like you just you're like, wow, that's, that's a surprise or whatever. And I don't ever want to ruin that. I say, read this book just like Joe does go out and get it and have a blast. Right. So that's what we've read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. If you head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday around 5.30 Eastern Time or so, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Uh, Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, however it is that you get your books, be forewarned and be forearmed. Know what's coming out this week. Now, uh, every year, Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out. This week, Todd is still in the lead with two correct guesses. And I am looking at your list in an attempt to guess what you are most looking forward to coming out this week. I'm going to take a stab, stab, stab in the dark. The book you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Assassination Number 3. It is the book I'm looking forward to most. Booyah. Is it also the book you're looking forward to most? No. It's Heroes for Dial H's. Dial H for Hero, that's correct. Right. Uh, close between those two, not a knock on any of the other books. Um, you know, whether they're kind of wrapping up in the middle of stuff or late, what have you, some of the books. It was a flip of the coin between those two and while Assassination 3 is a lot of fun in a graphic over-the-top way, Dial H for Hero is fun in a more wholesome way, and that's what I'm in the mood for today. Oh, good. And by today, I mean whenever it is I go get my books. <laughs> right. So while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that we've done uh, in the past, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, the 2017 Smash Sensation, Todd and Joe Have Issues. And if you want to help us out, you can always click on the little store button there uh, where you could purchase uh, shirts 
or stickers or pins with our fancy logo on it. And if you want to help us a little bit more, you could click on our T Public page, where we have a bunch of designs, uh, of course, not only for Longbox Heroes, but for soon to be named network.com, for At Odds with Wrestling, and many more designs coming sometime in the near future. And if you want to support us even more, tune in next week, and we'll tell you how. Okay. Uh, t- oh, and uh, of course, you could always support us, as we've always had available, is our Amazon click-through across the top of the page. Does not cost you an extra cent more, whether that cent is red, green, purple, or blue. It does give us a couple shekels on the back end, which is the advertising currency that Jeff Bezos pays out to me every month. <laughs> Personally, writes me a check uh, every month, and, it's a good f- and he hand-delivers it, actually. Ooh. He's that sort of guy. Uh, some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week is somebody purchased something called Something Weird Greatest Hits, which is a vinyl album, you know, whatever. I know Something Weird movies, but I don't know what sort of records they would be putting out. Uh, somebody purchased the Marvel Encyclopedia New Edition, which has a lot of movie design folks on the cover. Uh, somebody also purchased Marvel Epic Collection Judgment Day, which is from the Roger Stern era on the Avengers. And somebody also purchased a pair of men's Asics snap-down wrestling shoes and a Mizuno adult slider knee pad in purple. Ooh. I would guess that was the same person who purchased those two, two things. You never know. You never know. And anyone who purchased anything through the Amazon click-through this past week or ever, we thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? We did. And I need your help with how to say a, a, a name of a person who Twittered me. Uh, how Bob do you Smith. Well, yes, Bob Smith. Bloop, bloop. Um, oh, Dave he, Puente, that character. Right. I don't know how to tell it. Whatever. So you got it right. Um, he sent us a Tim Sale sketchbook, various pages he took pictures of that he got from uh, Megacon. And I I love a good sketchbook. Uh, I haven't p- purchased any in a long time. But uh, some of these, these things, Tim Sale, you know, really good. He's, he's living off that hero's money so he can afford, he can afford to put out those <laughs> sketchbooks. Um, really beautiful stuff. And I put out a uh, art attack this week, Joe. Uh, from the uh, Phillipsburg con that I went to two weeks ago. Uh, Rags Morales was there, and in my sketchbook, I got a Hawkman, because he had done Hawkman with Jeff Johns, and I think he's kind of tired of drawing Hawkman, Joe, because when when, when we walked up, and me and Josh, and we're like, Josh is like, you got, you got a, I, I want a Hawkman. So Josh got a Hawkman. He's like, yeah, you, you sure you don't want like a green arrow or anything like that? And he's like, no, I want a Hawkman. And I'm like, he's like, oh, and I'm like, you're not going to like me. He's like, let me guess Hawkman also. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I'm like, if you don't want to, I'll get something else. He goes, no, 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 I'll gladly do, you know, it's your money. You, you can get whatever you want. But he goes, I've done Hawkman head sketches so much. It's hard to do a different version for someone. And I was like, I, I get that. I get that. So what do you want, Todd? And I'm like, Hawkman head sketch. <laughs> like, it's what, what I came here for. But he was really nice. And then he gave me a piece of advice. He said, please, like, you know, he goes, if you, if you want to think about something, he goes, think about having a sketchbook for right-handed artists and left-handed artists. Oh. And I was like, why he goes all right open up your book 
And now you put a book down and you know how you open a book, Joe, you open it from the right side and move it to the left. He goes, now I I'm left-handed. I have to draw. My hand is on that crease of paper. He goes, so I hate it. And there are, there aren't as many left-handed artists as there are right-handed artists. But what you need to do, he goes, is buy another sketchbook and just flip it and open it the other way. And that's, if you go up to an artist, you'd be like, Hey, I want to get something in my sketchbook. Are you left-handed or right-handed? And he goes, he goes, if someone tells you left-handed and you hand them a left-handed sketchbook, they will be your friend for life. <laughs> Which I thought was a, a great piece of information. I had never thought about that before. Well, that's because you're very inconsiderate. But second of all, that is actually, that is information so good, you should have kept it and not told anyone. Like, so that you're the special person that has the left-handed sketchbook. You know what I mean? Right, so like all the lefties are out there. Go find Todd. Right, I'd be like the Southpaw King of like getting sketches in my sketchbook. Right, when they uh, when the left-handed artists get together in their Facebook group chat, right, they all know who Todd is. Yes, they're like Todd's art attack. He's he's a fan favorite of us, uh, <laughs> a left-handers. But uh, I, I just thought you should also have a separate Twitter account called Todd's Left-Handed Art Attack. <laughs> that would be fantastic. <laughs> also, you're going to edit all this out, so I have the I have the front runner. Like nobody else is going to do it, right? Now I'm going to send it over to you so you can fix it with the ring ringtone maker. All right, do that. I'm sure the show will be out by midnight. <laughs> it'll it'll be out midnight the same day Doomsday Clock Midnight comes out. Oh. It, that never ends, Joe. Just so yes. you know, I heard a rumor. It never ends. <laughs> they, they're not fooling that it never ends. Right. So before we get into TV talk, was there anything else we needed to cover? No, I don't think so. All right. So uh, for anyone uh, who did not watch the season finales of Legends of Tomorrow, Flash, or the most recent episode of Cloak and Dagger, we bid you adieu. Thanks for listening to episode 451, Longbox Heroes, and we'll give you a second or two here while I pull up some of my extra notes. Mm-hmm. Too much was going on during the recording of this show. What do you mean? A lot of people tagging me and bothering me and stuff, stuff, stuff. Right, right. I can only do one thing at a time. And you do that badly. Right. I could do... Listen, I'm a jack of no trades. I could do one thing at a time poorly. Two things at a time. Forget about it. Oh, my goodness. Thank God you're not chewing gum. Mm-hmm. My so kid's we- addicted to gum now. Oh. It drives my wife nuts. Oh, is that good for teeth or bad for teeth? I guess oh, it's confused. horrible for teeth. What? Even the sugarless? <laughs> Any gum is bad for your teeth, Todd. <sighs> By the way, I don't want to go off on a tangent, as we often do. The greatest bubblegum in the history of the world was bubblegum grape. And my mouth waters at the thought of it. And I don't think they make it anymore, anywhere. They Okay, they do, but it's not the same. Mm -hmm. The consistency is a bit off, and the pieces of gum are smaller. And it has nothing to do with me being a giant now. (laughs) Right. No, I think... I don't. I don't think I, the consistency in the size. I, anything to these days in candy isn't the same size as you got years ago. But I don't even think they've made great bubble yum in years. I'd, I'd have to argue with that because I've searched and I've searched. Okay. 
So I, I, I have been the candy searcher these past couple of days. So we just planned our vacation for the summer. Mm-hmm. And my when we told my son where we're going, he goes, oh, I hope they have a 7-Eleven there. Because last vacation, we, there was a 7-Eleven near our hotel where we stayed. And he had gotten these Jolly Rancher Chew candies. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, they only sell them at 7-Elevens. And I know my kid is wrong. He doesn't know any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I go and I pull it up. And, of course, you can get it anywhere. Like, they sell it at Walmart or whatever, right? Right. So when you go to the official Jolly Rancher site, which is through Hershey's, because they own, like, everything when it comes to candy for the most part. Sure. The write-up on the website for Jolly Rancher Fruit Chews says, Teeth. They just sit in your mouth. They're total freeloaders. Put those teeth to work and start chewing some Jolly Ranchers. <laughs> I'm just glad your son didn't say, hey, let's go to 7-Eleven. I'm jonesing from, for some of those fresh-pressed juices. Oh, then I know whose uh, son he really was. Oh, boy. <gasps> oh, no, Todd. What? Are you sitting down? Yes. So as I was... uh typing into DuckDuckGo here about your grape bubble yum. Yes. Do you know what the predictive search filled in for me? Uh, spider eggs. Grape bubble yum discontinued. See, I told you. You didn't... Aw, oh, sassafras. You could probably get bubblicious grape, but it's not the same. Right, bubblicious, right. Now, I'm looking at pictures of bubble yum here, <laughs> and I promise we're going to get to the TV uh, talk here. <laughs> Well, we did say we would take a moment. Right. So. It's more than a moment. Right. Uh, currently unavailable. Now, at candywarehouse.com, you could buy a lot of discontinued candy there, Todd. Right, but it's probably off the back of a Chernobyl truck. I don't know what's wrong with these Oreos. Oh. <laughs> they need, you need some iodine after you eat them. I'm looking up bubble yum. They have original. Mm-hmm. They don't have grape. Monsters. I want to know why grape was discontinued now. I think there was a grape shortage. But anyway. Oh boy! All right, let's get let's get into the the. You got me distracted with your grape bubble yum. Okay, you can work on that later. All right, I'll work on that later too. I'll see if Vinny and Bobby will help me out. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, I could explain that to you, but it would take seven hours. All right. So let's start with the Flash season finale, since that's kind of like the oldest of them, right? Right. So basically, they beat Cicada two. Let's move on. No. <laughs> To the good stuff. Thon had a had a whole plan. <laughs> he was they were going to destroy the dagger because they were using it to suppress his powers. And uh, if uh, Barry destroyed it, then he would be free before he was executed. And that that ended up happening halfway through the episode when they defeated defeated Cicada two. As I said, we don't really need to discuss that at all. And in the end, uh, in doing so. Uh, it released, what did they end up doing? Releasing the reverse uh, Speed Force into Nora? Yes. And she needed to go into the reverse Speed Force to control it, but she was worried 
that uh, oh, they were changing the timeline and uncreating Nora, and she was had to go into the reverse Speed Force or become one with it to save her, or she would dissipate, and that was going to save uh, uh, Eobard because he was like, "That's my plan. You're going to deal with that. You're not going to chase me." And she ends up deciding to uh, not give in to the to the reverse Speed Force because it would make her evil, and she ends up going, "No, I'm just going to to go," and she ends up dissipating which i think the think uh iris and barry were just a little too okay with at some point where they're like oh we'll see her again someday hopefully and i'm like i don't, I don't know about that because she disappeared but uh overall and then uh what is it cisco ended up giving up his powers and gave something to killer frost but we didn't see what it was right i don't recall Right. He's like, oh, here's a gift. And she smiled. So hopefully we'll get there was a lot of weird endings to this like okay. season, I felt. Right. I, I So I like the episode and, and I disagree with you a little bit how Barry and Iris dealt with it, because obviously when they get their little after the last set of commercials kind of break, everyone else is kind of up. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe gets the promotion at work. Uh, Killer Frost gets whatever she gets from from uh, Cisco. Cisco gives up his powers so he could be with the girl. Uh, Ralph kind of goes back to his detective business. Sherlock goes back to his universe. Everyone's kind of on an upswing. And I feel as though Barry and Iris are trying to convince themselves that everything's okay. Okay. With uh, Iris finding Nora's book that was still left. So they have that to cling on to. Like that little bit tiny of hope. And yes, as she's dissipating and everything else like that. Uh, I get what you're saying, but I feel it as though at first their reaction was very strong. It was one of the better acted episodes of the season, I think, from all parts. Right, I agree, and I guess you kind of, you you have a little bit of a point, but I feel after that it, they bounce back a little too well. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, we have this message, and we'll and like I said, I was talking with with Adam, and he he even says he's like, we'll see her again soon, and you're like. I don't know. I don't know if it works that way, to tell you the truth, because there was a line earlier in the season where Eobard, which them going back to get something off the past Eobard, kick-started this whole plan, right? That whole wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. And in that, like, before he realized what was going on, he's like, you just have a daughter now? You don't have twins? And I think they're going to go back. Maybe we will get Nora as one half of the twins, but uh, we'll have to see. You know what I mean? I, d- I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping that they revert it to the Tornado twins, but I, I don't know. Right. The future timeline is so mucked with, of course. Right. But I will say, I just want to mention two other things. I know you're kind of brushing over the Cicada 2 stuff. Right. Uh, I want to say that I thought the special effects on Ralph getting shot with a mirror gun were really fun. Right, him when he became crystallized or whatever. When he became crystallized, I thought that was really cool. It was a neat special effect. didn't look trashy like some of the special effects can look on these CW shows. And the part where Nora is going into young Grace's mind to try to convince her to wake up to take the cure. Right. And she's inside, and you have evil Orlin and good Orlin. What was the difference? Okay, so here was the difference. Evil Orlin is a bad actor. Good Orlin is a passable actor. 
See, so I, I take back some of the things, not all of them, that I said about Chris Klein, the big meathead from American Pie, who right. played the villain for this season. When he tries to do the evil stuff, it comes off as laughable and sad. When he was doing the caring father, parent, whatever, he was actually convincing, and I thought he did a, a, a bang-up job. See, I always thought... It, he the voice wasn't evil. It was because he had the gaping chest wound. Do you know what I mean? I think it was an acting choice. He's like, I'm going to talk like evil Orlin because I was stabbed in the chest and I have problems. And good Orlin was before the chest stab. Like, I think that's a weird, like, acting decision. But I'm with you. I personally think the only difference between good Orlin and bad Orlin is one needs a Sucrets and is stabby and the other one doesn't need a Sucrets and isn't stabby. That's your difference between the, the good and evil Orlin. I thought he did a, an admiral job as good Orlin as opposed to the horrible job he's done all season as bad Orlin. Right, right. I guess. You, you're entitled to your opinion. Maybe you should do a petition to get him to react Orlin Cicada 1. Still there? I'm still here. Okay. Uh, so, but I thought that, like, it, with a few tweaks, this could have been a great series finale for the Flash. Mm-hmm. But I, I felt as though it was a good season finale, kind of resetting the pieces, letting you know where everyone stands. Uh, so it's kind of like a fresh slate for the next season. Right. And uh, I do like Eobard says. To Barry's like, well, I'm going to go. You go save your daughter, and I'll see you again when the next crisis arises. Oh, boy. And that's when we get our post-credits uh, thing mm-hmm. where the date on the newspaper changes. From 2024 to 2019. Right. And you watch Arrow, and don't we get a teaser at the end of Arrow that this is the beginning of, like, the crisis is upon us? Right, because as I I think I said on last week's show, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, in the crossover earlier, uh, earlier or this year, the monitor said to to Arrow, like I, I'm good. They were going to kill Kara and Barry. He's like, but a sacrifices balances have to be made. And it was kind of implied that maybe Ollie would have to something bad would happen to him. And in the end of this uh, season, he's having a kid with Felicity. And he's like, oh, everything's good. We, we were hidden away from this evil group, and I'm going to help raise this kid. And all of a sudden, the monitor shows up, and, and Ollie's like, well, it's been – It's he goes, it's too – you know, I thought I had more time. And monitor's like, no, you made the decision. We have to go. And then last season had this weird time thing where they were doing a story in the in the present and how it related to a story in the future. And in the future, Felicity – uh, is like, all right, everything's wrapped up. We saved the day in the future. And the monitor shows up again. And she goes, she goes, I've been waiting a long time to see him again. And because she, they even showed that Ollie was dead at this point in the future in 2040 or whatever it was. And she goes, so I've been waiting to see him again. She He opens this portal and they just go through. And that's the last we see him. We saw the monitor and it looks like I have theories on what it is but uh yeah so they did a they did more of a tie-in to crisis it was literally like seven minutes with arrow than they did with uh the flash show trying to get you to watch everything man 
They are. Good thing there's only ten episodes of Arrow left because I am I'm done with that show. Really? That's so. This upcoming season is the last season, and they've said already that's only going to be ten episodes. Yep, they said that. They announced next season is the last season. Felicity, they said her ep- her episode that she was in the season finale this year is her last episode, which I think is BS. I think she's going to be in the last, like whatever it, whatever we see Ollie, the end of Ollie, that's where she's going to be. But uh, I don't even know because Ollie's gone. What next season is going to be? If it's him bopping around with the monitor, or they made a, 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 a superhero team in the future with all the kids of different characters. So I don't know if we're going to jump to the future and that's what we're going to see. There's just no, like, I have no idea. Hmm. So, but it was cool seeing the monitor again. Speaking of seeing the monitor, we have the season finale of legends of tomorrow as well. Right. So, uh, things look the bleakest for our heroes. They need to stop Neron's plan, but they also need to go and get the uh, dragon that Zari left for young Zari, and that goes poorly. Hmm. Uh, Constantine is still in hell trying to get Ray's soul back so that they can get Neron out of Ray's body, and uh, they have a wacky plan that just may work. Eh, Probably not. What? Legends always work. Their plans always work. So, uh, I guess, you know, we're, we're kind of glossing over some things here. So, they decide to make the amusement park that Nate's dad was planning on making. Right. Uh, they have that book that whatever he draws in, it just comes to reality. Right. And uh, uh, Heatwave had it for whatever he was up to with it. And he lets them borrow it so they can make this world. And this is their way to teach... They're going to use this to teach the world that monsters aren't bad. Yes. And of all the things that were in this episode, they hammered that home a little too hard at times. Where I was like, all right, we get it. Monsters aren't bad. Everybody isn't bad. Let's just move on. Like, there was some times where they literally had the, Hey, Ogre. My name isn't Ogre. It's Frank. And every time I try to sing to people, they either try to burn me or run. And I'm like... Okay, okay, let's. I get it. They're they're good people. Let's let's move on. Um, but that that's one of the few things that I disliked about the, the this episode. I thought the plan uh, there was okay. Uh, I liked seeing uh, Sarah, Nate, and Gary dressed up as the big three of the CW universe. But they wouldn't show up. They should have done the crossover. They should have done the crossover. That was such a great uh, little rib there. Right. And, of course, while they're trying to put on their little stage performance to convince the people that showed up to Hayworld, Mm -hmm. uh, this is where Neron and the Fairy Godmother and the Dragon and everything else show up, and you get your big battle uh, just as the tail end of this, as Constantine convinces, what's Astra? that girl? Astra. Astra. Why she needs to help them to kind of right things in hell. Mm-hmm. She does, and of course, with every deal with any sort of 
devil or demon type person. It always comes with a twist, which is how we're setting up the next season. If there is going to be a next season, I don't. Did they announce that this is coming yes, back? Yes, there is definitely a next season. All right, that's fantastic. And they're but, also part of the Crisis crossover. Oh, they're back in. Yeah. Good, good, good. So I thought this the season finale was okay. Um, I thought the best part of it was the shooting of the stunt work for the stunt double for the fairy godmother was very well done yes uh the fairy godmother was very active in fighting sarah and you couldn't tell for most like you knew it was a stunt double but you couldn't tell it was a stunt double if that makes any sense right i personally think the 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 end of the story didn't land as well as some of the other stuff i think the mid-season finale and the, the lead up to it was the best thing of this season so it had a it had big shoes to fill but the things that i did like about it were the little jabs at disney where it's like they have the they have the the statue of Nate's father out front, a la Walt Disney, and he's walking around. It's like it's that it's the happiest a- area on the globe, or whatever right. he was saying, which was fun. And then the whole thing, like if they had done more of the cheesy routine, where like it all starts with Gary as the as the ringleader, and they come out, and it's like, hey, everybody. We have to fight these monsters, and they're just bad acting. It reminded me of my kid kid days of going to see the uh, like the water skiing superheroes at SeaWorld, right? You know? <laughs> Which was fantastic, and it went on, and then everything went sideways into the plan about two minutes in. And I was like, oh man, if everything stuck to that generic you know, theme park acting for 20 minutes. I think it would have been so great. But like I said, it, and then it got schmaltzy. I did like seeing Nate with his father for a second because they got to talk, but it did, it turned into the whole, uh, what, what is it? Uh, Peter Pan thing where you have to clap for the fairy or he dies, which is another Walt Disney thing. And I was like, okay, this isn't, isn't landing for me, but I did like the fact that uh, Astra traded in. She had all those uh, coins with the souls of the worst of the worst, which I think what is going to be the Legends of Tomorrow thing they have to defeat next season is Astra and her super team of evil history people. And I think we're going to get... Uh, what's his face? Who was the one who was torturing Ray? Because he was from season... He was from season like two or three with the Hawk Girl and Hawk... Uh, Hawkman, do you know? Oh, I forget his name, but I know who you mean. I think he's coming back too. She has his coin, and he's not going to be—he's not going to want to play Jenga as much as he did with Ray. He's coming back evil, right? So, oh, he's Vandal Savage. I'm—I couldn't think of the name. Vandal Savage. So I think Vandal Savage is coming back next season. Yeah, they never said his name, which was odd. Right, and that's why it took me took me a minute to figure out who he was. And I was like, I believe this is Vandal Savage. So hopefully, like I said, he's, she has his coin. And Damien Dark. That would be a way to bring him back, too. There you go. That's right, because she, right, she has... We see the Genghis Khan one, mm-hmm. but we don't see any of the other ones. Right, and she ends up saying... Somebody says at one point, Damien Dark is down there. I think she even... Somebody said it. I think the fairy godmother said it to Nora. She's like, your father's down there. And he's gone insane in this short amount of time down there. So it'd be cool to see like a, a, a even zanier Damien Dark if they could bring him back. 
all in all, it was an okay season finale of, of Legends. And we did get to see the Monitor eating popcorn watching it all. Right, that's where we get into the uh, Monitor just kind of hanging out with Noah. Yeah. Right. Oh, boy. So, uh, last but not least, uh, with this, we have uh, Cloak and Dagger. Right. So we still got, like, what, two or three more episodes of Cloak and Dagger left to go. Right. And I thought this was a great episode. We get, uh, we finally get Tandy and Tyrone being superheroes. I agree. I didn't like this episode as much as you. Oh! But it's only because I thought it was really cool the way they ended up starting the video game thing. Where where he's in the he's in the dark uh, force and he's playing the video game and they they say well you got to help him Tandy and she goes and she's trying to convince him that it's stupid because they're they're doing the generic uh, scrolling video game but in real life she's like this is dumb we're beating up these guys they're all dressed alike and she turns around and they've all disappeared I like that but that didn't work after the first minute and a half for me. And she's like, all right, now we're on to the next thing and the next thing. And I'm like, nope. The, the vi- You've done a lot of cool stuff with the records and, like, the visions that they have and stuff like that. But I really think you tried on the video game thing, and it didn't work for me, if that makes any sense. I, I thought it was really good. Um, you know, we get the battle of trying to save Tyrone from what's going on with the cloak. Right. We get more, um, I guess a bigger push of Adina being a bigger deal in the grand scheme of things. Right. She's the voodoo woman. Right. And so she's the young girl who was, uh, like set being set up to be Tyrone's girlfriend. Right. But now she can't cause she has to, she gave up herself and married, uh, one of the, one of the the supernatural things to free him where he was just about to choose to leave, but she didn't, didn't know if he would and did it anyway. So now it's like, he can't even touch her. It looks like. Right. And you know, we got the thing we questioned last week. Did, uh, auntie Chantel or whatever, uh, Chante Chantel, we were questioning whether or not she had died or not. And yes, it's very clear that she died and she gets that point where she kind of tells, Adina, like, it doesn't matter what your plans were, this is what your life always was going to be. Mm-hmm. You were just kind of delaying it by putting yourself ahead of what your destiny is. Right, but then she said, you can walk away, mm-hmm. and whatever you do, hold your head high, but if you do, th- this is what's going to happen to, you know, Tyrone. And I was like, okay, so, like, I thought that was nice. My favorite parts of the episode, though, I thought that was all good. It was great to see Tyrone and uh, uh, what's Dagger's name, first name? Uh, Tandy. Tandy, working together. And it seems like now we're starting to get into where they like they decide they're friends or whatever. My two favorite parts were to see O'Reilly with Mayhem, where they're like they're 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 sitting in the in the mall and they're talking to each other and they're talking about how they see their life differently, like with their father and the ones like, yeah, the only reason he came to the mall was because he wanted to hit on that girl in that store, and he's like. Yeah, because he was raising us as kids and after Ma died and he had nothing. So who cares if he had a little companionship? And they 
And she ends up going like, you know what? Maybe the world needs the bad me a little bit more than the good me. So we should merge. But you have to listen to me. I want to drive. You know, you can drive, but you got to listen to me every once in a while. And the really cool shot of where she starts painting the good O'Reilly's nails. And then the camera spins and she's painting her own nails and they've merged. I'm like, this is what I love about Cloak and Dagger. And then Tyrone's mother doing her whole thing that she needs the priest and the revelation that we get from her that she's like, she's like, well, I need a confession. So I, I can't tell anybody that you gave this to me. And she's like, all right, I, j- I killed the guy who killed my son. And she's like, did you, did, did you like want to tell me that? She's like, no, I, I needed a priest. I didn't to do this. I don't care about anything else, but you needed a confession. There it is. And I was like, Ooh, the mother's gotten like cold. Like, I really like them dropping that on us. Right. So, again, I liked the character development stuff that you got. I know that you're saying uh, this wasn't uh, – you didn't like this episode as much as I did, but I really like this a lot. Again, I was a sucker for the video game stuff. Right. That didn't work for me, but I liked everything else about Tandy and Tyrone – the mother and the priest and uh, everything else I, I liked. So I'm good with it. It's not like I hated the episode. <laughs> exactly. So. so at least for the next, what, two weeks, one week, actually. Right. We only have this show to talk about. Right. And then uh, there's I... no, right. There's nothing else going on. Um you know, we have Cloak and Dagger. And then the week after that, we have both the start of Swamp Thing and Good Omens. Are we doing Swamp Thing? Uh, we're going to try to get at least the first episode in. Okay. Because then it's going to get it's going to get interesting because the week after that, then we'll have one, at least one episode of Cloak and Dagger, one episode of Good Omens. One episode, uh, if we keep doing Swamp Thing, and then Krypton comes back the beginning of June. Right, so we have, uh, then two weeks later is when Krypton comes back, right. Right, so I don't know if that crosses over Cloak and Dagger. We might have, like, one really, like, big packed weekend of, uh, of uh, one week of talking about TV shows. Right. And then, do you have any plans on seeing the next X-Men movie? No. Okay. How about Brightburn? Hmm. Do, do you know what Brightburn is? I'm just yes, I do. Okay. That's the James Gunn produced thing. Right. Which is basically if super, if Clark Kent as a kid was bad. Right. Was just, um, I'll try. I make no promises to see I, it. I don't know. I was just saying like if I would make it my business, because I think that's, this week, actually, isn't it? So that's hmm. why I wanted to know if I had to watch it. I think Brightburn is this week, and then I know uh, X-Men is June 7th. I know that first, because that's Mick Foley's birthday. Poor Mick Foley. Poor Mick Foley. <sighs> if only he was around 24-7. Mm, yeah, Brightburn is this weekend. Um... I'd like to see it, but I don't see it happening. Fair enough. Yeah. And X-Men, I don't know. I didn't see Apocalypse, and I don't see myself seeing Phoenix. 
I'm going to see Phoenix because I've seen them all, and this is the last one mm-hmm. until like new, until New Mutants. Well, until Disney takes over, until New Mutants gets pushed to Hulu. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. Oh boy! All right, so we got busy stuff coming up over the next couple uh, weeks here, huh? Yes. All right, everybody. I think there's a good point to stop the show. Thanks, everyone, for listening to episode 451 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Ooh!